Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trial stemming from the tragic death of Ahmad Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. With verdicts of guilty rendered against the three defendants, we continue our complete coverage of the trial from gavel to gavel. In our last episode, we followed Lara Hoag's closing on behalf of Greg McMichael all the way to its conclusion. In this episode, we begin our examination of Kevin Goff's closing on behalf of William Roddy Bryan. That's coming up after the break. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As Kevin Goff begins his closing, he seeks to establish who his client is and who he is not, what he knew on the fateful day of February 23rd, 2020, and what he did not. When did Roddy Bryan know the McMichaels brought guns? When did Roddy Bryan know Travis McMichael would shoot Mr. Arbery? And at that point, what could Roddy Bryan have done to stop it? The inconvenient truth is that Roddy Bryan did not know and could not know that these men were armed until moments before Mr. Arbery's tragic death. He did not know and could not know that Arbery would be shot. And by that time, sadly, there was nothing Roddy Bryan could do to prevent this tragedy. Roddy Bryan didn't shoot anyone. At the time of the shooting, he was some distance back. He was armed only with his cell phone. Isn't it time? Isn't it time, ladies and gentlemen, that we send Roddy Bryan, home. You will have to decide what justice looks like between the McMichaels and Mr. Arbery, between the McMichaels and the Arbery family. But the reason that you can do so, the reason that we can have this trial is because of Roddy Bryan. Roddy Bryan decided to invite Officer Minshew to sit with him in his truck, even before Roddy Bryan has a chance to look at the video himself. All this again without a lawyer. These actions, ladies and gentlemen, demonstrate good faith. His conduct negatives any inference of criminal intent. Roddy Bryan is no vigilante. There's no evidence of that. Roddy isn't running around Satilla Shores with guns, openly carried, in broad daylight. He didn't even bother to report the theft of his own trailer. After all, it's just stuff. That's what insurance is for. The Amish of the saying, what you take into your hand, you take into your heart. Roddy Bryan 
grabbed his cell phone. That's not intended as a comment upon anyone else, but that's just who Roddy is. After establishing his narrative for who William Bryan is and what he knew on the day Travis McMichael shot Ahmaud Arbery, Goff takes on one of the most seemingly damaging pieces of evidence against his client. We are now going to try and play the excerpt from the interview with Mr. Lowry, specifically that most damaging part of his statement where he supposedly wishes that he had hit Ahmaud Arbery. Um, you said that you had you had handprints on your truck where the guy was trying to get into it. Yeah, I feel pretty sure that's what he was doing. I mean, I can't say for sure that he was up there. He wasn't on the door. I didn't give him a chance to get to the door. But after I angled him off the side of the road, you know, um, and I kind of went on past him because I didn't hit him, um, which I would have, you know, might have took him out and shot. But, you know, I probably got past him a little bit, and he'd come up on me, and I could see him in my mirror, and he's coming for the door. And I seen his hands on right behind the door. As the video of this interview plays, the jurors hear Brian say, quote, I didn't hit him, wish I would have, might have took him out and not get him shot, end quote. Kevin Goff makes reference to Brian's demeanor as his client says these words in the video. Ladies and gentlemen, in the video, as opposed to the officer's testimony, you can see Mr. Brian's demeanor. You can see his gestures and his mannerisms. And you can see that when he says that he wished he hit Mr. Arbery, he said that just after he says that he didn't hit him, and he's expressing regret because Mr. Arbery has died. And maybe if he hadn't gotten down where he was, he wouldn't have been shot. That is much, much different in context than to suggest that Roddy Bryan wished that he had hit Mr. Arbery. Now, there is another excerpt that I want to play from the Minshew video. Only one, okay? Because again, I think it shows you Mr. Bryan's demeanor. It has been suggested by the state that much of what Mr. Bryan says later is somehow an after-the-fact rationalization of what happened that day. But when you listen to this, I think you'll see that Mr. Bryan's the truth of what Mr. Bryan is trying to convey hasn't really changed. What, what, you know, what did it look like he was trying to do? He was trying to get, he was trying to get on this side of the car, right? What did it look like he was trying to do? What? Yeah, I mean, I cut him off pretty good now, you okay. know, but it, I mean, he, put, he actually he pulled was, your handle. I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that's it, Mark's right there. Okay. He was trying to get the handle. Okay. Yeah. All right. Nobody got us on video. You just witnessed it, yeah, right? I got it. You got I it on video? I ain't looked at it. Okay. You ready? Yes, sir. Yeah. At what point did you start videoing? Well, I thought he was going to get away. Okay. So that was... You you was trying to uh, capture who he looked like? Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I probably got two videos, three videos. I mean, I probably started over here. I don't know what I got because half the time I was trying to drive. It was suggested that Roddy Bryan made up the idea that he was trying to preserve... Mr. Arbery's identity, that he was trying to preserve it because he thought he was going to get away. It's been suggested that that's not what was going on. But yet, here, on the side of the road, with Officer Minshew, Roddy Bryan says, within minutes of the shooting, that that's exactly what he was trying to do. Maybe it would have been better if he had been able to record more, if he knew better how to operate his phone. But the idea that somehow Mr. Bryan is quote-unquote minimizing 
his involvement in this case. Had he recovered as much video as he thought he had, he might have had the whole thing on video. And he's giving it to the police. He's inviting Officer Minshew to sit with him in the car, to look at it with him for the first time. Not with some slick Cobb County lawyer. By himself. That tells you that Roddy Bryan is not guilty. Because unless you think he's smarter than everybody else in this room, that he's smarter than all these police officers, that he's smarter than the cream of the crop, the creme de la creme of the GBI, then you know he's trying to tell you the truth. You just can't always find the words. This appears to be the essence of Goff's argument on behalf of his client. William Bryan is not guilty because he never had any criminal intent, and Goff suggests we know this because of how cooperative and open Bryan was to authorities after Ahmad Arbery was killed. Goff next seeks to set the scene for the jurors on February 23, 2020, as it was experienced by Bryan. After describing what was in the news with a political edge that seems intended to appeal to a conservative Southern audience's sense of normalcy, the defense attorney refers to the evidence on the court TV screen of what William Bryan was doing that day. I think we have the first night out video. I call it the first night out video, the porch video. I think we played it for you once before. Here you can see Roddy Bryan standing on his front porch trying to repair a column. He is listening to music. The music is playing from the in the garage. The door is open. You've seen that from the previous picture. You'll see in a moment his truck is out front. If you look carefully, I believe you can see his hammer on the ground behind him. And I believe other tools as well. Is there anything threatening or menacing about this picture? Is there anything threatening or menacing about this image? Or is this something we'd expect to see in a Norman Rockwell painting? We talk about driveway decisions. Mr. Arbery has driveway decisions that he's making this morning. Mr. Arbery is now running down the street, running from the English residents. He's passing house after house after house on a nice Sunday afternoon. Is there any evidence that Mr. Arbery sought help, sought assistance from anyone in that neighborhood up to this point? Maybe you heard it, I didn't. But as he comes up to Mr. Bryan's residence, he starts coming by his house. Why isn't Mr. Arbery asking for help. Why isn't he calling out? Hey, somebody call 911. There's crazy people after me. Maybe that's because Mr. Arbery doesn't want help. Now, Mr. Bryan spots Mr. Arbery out of the corner of his eye. Roddy Bryan knows the joggers in the neighborhood. On his end of the neighborhood, let's be clear, it's a big neighborhood. There's four or five. Mott Arbery isn't one of them. Roddy Bryan's never seen Ahmad Arbery before. Roddy Bryan intuitively, and that's the word for it, intuitively, knows the difference between someone running to something 
and someone running from something. He cannot, because of the music, he really can't hear the words. I believe the testimony is he's basically reading the lips of what turns out to be Travis McMichael. He can't see Mr. Arbery's lips. He can't see what, if anything, he's saying. Mr. Bryan has told us repeatedly that he's never heard Mr. Arbery say anything from, day, from the beginning to the end. So at this point, it's clear that Mr. Arbery does not want help from Mr. Bryan. It's clear that he, he goes ahead and, and runs off. Uh, and at that point, Mr. Bryan has to make a decision. Now, there's been some testimony. I think Mr. Bryan said that he called out to them, you got him, which would be consistent with what he's seeing on the, on the road. But nobody else hears that that we know of. We know another witness said that they didn't hear it because they testified. And we're going to play a second Night Owl video that we didn't play previously where you see Mr. Bryan coming off his porch. I'm going to suggest to you, and you will have to decide what the truth is here, that when Mr. Bryan says he called out to them, did he? Do you see that on either of these videos? Do you see it on the third one to come? Again, is Mr. Bryan relating what actually happened or what he thinks has happened? Is Mr. Bryan's mind playing tricks on him? In any event, Mr. Arbery goes down the street. Mr. Bryan has said on some occasions he walked to the kitchen. On another occasion, he said he ran to the kitchen. He said he walked back out to the truck. Another time, he said he ran back out to the truck. Well, what we know from this video, it takes 13 seconds to get from the edge of the driveway into the kitchen to reach the keys and go back out to the truck. Mr. Bryan is, in fact, walking calmly to the kitchen and walking calmly to the truck. And his recollection of doing otherwise is faulty. Now, we also know, as Mr. Bryan pulls out, and by the way, we also know that he left his rifle in the house, left the hammer on the porch, and went out with his cell phone. Kevin Goff's tactic here appears to be to try to persuade the jury that there was no urgency or sense of danger to his client's decision to join the pursuit of Ahmad Arbery, and that his mindset reflects his innocence of the intent to try to falsely imprison Mr. Arbery. We will pick up the next section of defense attorney Goff's closing argument right after the break. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. In the next section of his closing, Kevin Goff begins to present to the jury a narrative for his client William Bryan's intentions at each step of his pursuit of Mr. Arbery. But just as his narrative gets to the moment where William Bryan pulls his truck out of the driveway, Goff pivots to assessing the counts in the indictment against Bryan and his fellow defendants, and specifically the first count of malice murder as it relates to his client. Count one is murder, and I don't want to tread over the same ground that other counsel have tread, but the, the issues are somewhat different for Mr. Bryan. I hesitate even to respond to count one because by doing so, I don't want any of you to think for a moment that there's anything here even worthy of a reply, but I am required to do so. Roddy Bryan didn't shoot Mr. Arbery. He was armed only with a cell phone and he was a good distance away when the shots rang out. Roddy did not cause and could not cause Mr. Arbery's death within the meaning of this statute. Roddy was not the shooter, so he could not shoot Mr. Arbery unlawfully. Roddy did not shoot him at all. Roddy Bryan acted in good faith on the day in question. There is no evidence whatsoever of malice. And most importantly, and I I think this echoes arguments made by others, nor can Roddy be a party to the crime of malice murder because there is no evidence that Roddy Bryan intentionally helped Travis McMichael murder Mr. Arbery. Where is that evidence? And that takes us back to the three questions I asked a moment ago when I first stood up. Roddy Bryant certainly was not aware of any intention on the part of Travis McMichael to shoot Mr. Arbery. And I'm not saying he had that intention. You will have to decide what Travis McMichael did or did not do. But Roddy Bryant certainly was not aware of any such intention and certainly could not be a party to the crime of malice murder because he can't intentionally help commit a crime he doesn't know is underway, doesn't know is contemplated. Kevin Goff then pivots his argument back to an assessment of William Bryan's intent in the latter moments of his pursuit of Mr. Arbery as he recorded the video that ultimately captured Travis McMichael pointing his shotgun at Ahmaud Arbery and then shooting and killing Mr. Arbery. Much of the first 75 seconds of the video is either shaky or has no image because Brian is focused on steering and shifting the gears of his truck. As the video plays, Goff describes the action and at times suggests what his client's inner thoughts and intentions may have been. You hear Mr. Brian tap his brakes, but he's still in drive and he's going about two miles per hour, which is about the same speed that Mr. Arbery is moving. He's been described as chasing Mr. Arbery, as hunting Mr. Arbery, as attempting to run Mr. Arbery down. But what you see on the video, and there is the, the, you can see that Mr. Bryan is moving at approximately two miles an hour, and you can see that the seatbelt is not in place. 
You can see Mr. Bryant's foot is not on the gas pedal. Now, you hear a motor vehicle go by. We can guess which vehicle that is. We hear it pass. And then at 20 seconds, we're going to hear the seatbelt alarm go off. At 26 seconds, you can hear the transmission shift as Mr. Bryan puts his truck in park. And then two seconds later, you'll hear Mr. Bryan buckle his seatbelt. Now, at about 30 seconds, and I'm going to go through this with you before we play it so you'll know what to listen for. Mr. Bryan utters the famous words, I'm going to keep going. And you'll notice that his cell phone is down. This is where he says, I'm going to keep going. And the state is suggesting to you, if I recall the opening statement and the opening portion today, that this is where Mr. Bryan is turning around to give chase to Mr. Arbery in the moments before his death. But if you listen carefully, I think you'll hear a somewhat different story and a different truth. You know what? Mr. Bryan says, I'm going to keep going. He's put the car in gear. But if you watch, you'll see Mr. Bryan isn't going back towards Mr. Arbery. He's not going back towards the McMichaels. He's going in the opposite direction and he starts at a high rate of speed. Kevin Goff appears to be suggesting that at this moment, his client, William Bryan, was abandoning his pursuit of Ahmad Arbery. As the video plays, Goff continues his narration. All the jury sees is the blurry seat of Bryan's truck where he has put his phone as he maneuvers his vehicle. Now, you can't see yet, but he's not moving towards Mr. Arbery. He's moving away, and you'll see why in a moment. Now here you can see the speedometer is, at this point he's slowed back down, he's at four miles an hour at the 51 second mark. And shortly after this, you hear him put the, the shift the transmission again. And I think you'll see it's clear from the context, which is a K turn, that he is putting the truck into reverse, and then a few seconds later he puts it back into drive. This is the K turn near the top of Holmes that you see on the reenactment video. Goff is arguing that at this moment, William Bryan's intentions changed. He was no longer driving with the intent of pursuing Ahmaud Arbery, but instead was simply trying to return home. Goff suggests that at first, Bryan drove in the opposite direction of Mr. Arbery, but then made a K-turn to head back in the direction of his house and drove slowly and apprehensively so as not to re-engage with Mr. Arbery. We start the video up. Listen for Mr. Bryan's breathing. I think when you hear his breathing, you will hear something different than the state has suggested. Now, I can't tell you how to interpret it, but what I hear is someone who is labored breathing, breathing as if he was in fear. Also, around the same time, Watch Mr. Bryan's leg, which is momentarily visible on the gas pedal, and see whether you don't agree that Mr. Bryan's 
leg is literally shaking. Now, you know, he's not driving a Cadillac. I'm sure there's vibration in the vehicle, but if you watch his leg in relation to the rest of the car, to the rest of the truck, I think you'll agree that Mr. Bryan at this point is shaking. That concludes this episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmad Arbery. On our next episode, we will continue our examination of Kevin Goff's closing with his argument for what William Bryan was doing and thinking during the moments leading up to Travis McMichael's shooting of Ahmad Arbery. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, the killing of Ahmad Arbery.